This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Analyzing Anfield. I am Christian Walsh and with me as always is Josh Williams. Liverpool top of the league still, four wins out of four. It's the international break but don't let that put you off. Come sit down, make a bit of a brew and let's have a little chat Josh about Burnley and a little bit about the story so far as well. We'll begin at Turf Moor. Um, First of all I suppose before we even get there, how are you? Good, hopefully a bit more tanned. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if I can um, tell no, You can't you tell with these lights No you probably can't But uh, I think there's a little bit of something there I'm not too sure Maybe I'm being too generous oh, You can always get on the uh, on the fake On the fake sunshine <laughs> You know yeah, I don't know about I was that, with like. a bottle or in a bed <laughs> uh, I tell you what the, the, the sun was absolutely shining on uh, on Burnley um, Which is a very uh, rare thing that you can say um, As Liverpool won 3-0 To extend their 100% record Four wins out of four it's nearly a week ago, Josh. Um, we're recording this because uh, on a Friday because you've been away, so it's a little bit later this week. Um, I know people have been tweeting us and asking where it is, so yes, it's 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 today. Getting recorded on Friday, so nearly a week ago, Burnley. Let's not dwell on it too much, but the easiest game against Burnley away since Klopp arrived, I've put that out as a shout. I don't know what you think, but it felt to me it was a consummate 3-0 away performance? Yeah, I think it was the easiest performance, though, because of ourselves. I think we we made that the case. Uh, believe it or not, the first time that Klopp hasn't conceded against Burnley. Every other game, we've conceded at least, you know, at least one. We've won most of them, like I say, but it's the first time we've kept a clean sheet against them. So I think Burnley's game is a lot about Similar to ours in certain ways, in terms of the embrace, the whole chaos and, and, and that kind of thing. So to keep that, you know, levelled out for the entire match and run out 3-0 winners, you know, you, you can't really ask for more, especially at Save More. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that about the, the, the goals conceded because I, I think the evolution of this side under Klopp is kind of reflected by how his teams have played at Turf Moor. So the first time he goes to Turf Moor, Daniel Sturridge on the right wing, Philip Coutinho's in the in number 10, I think he was that day, and they lose 2-0. Um, and and you look at that game and the goals he concedes, they're just goals that Liverpool don't concede now, nowadays. And then it moves on a little bit and it's a really grinding 2-1 victory on New Year's Day. It's Ragnar Klavan. With, uh, with 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 the the last kick of the game essentially uh, that was the the day Sadio Mane for me sort of became the Mane that we know because it, it was the day he really took the game by the scruff of the neck and then last season again they, they fall behind um, and then they come out three one winners but this one was a little bit more controlled so I'll just throw it out there you know eight shots from outside the box against Burnley on Saturday if you remember that two 0 game. Philip Coutinho himself had eight shots from outside the area, and not one of them hit the back of the net. That was that was the day when Liverpool had around thirty shots in all. Burnley had two, <laughs> um, two shots, two shots on target, two goals. How much can you look at that Burnley and the way Klopp has adapted to these these sorts of games, and you can just see the maturity seeping out of that Liverpool team now? Yeah, well, I did the game, and one of the you know one of the conclusions that I got from it was that. You know, this is certainly not a team that that 
can be bullied anymore. This Liverpool team, a lot of winners in there, a lot of um, you know grinders, grafters, that kind of thing. And I think I got a bit of a vibe as well as to why Burnley tend to do so mad um, in terms of XG. Mm. Because we've said before on this show, haven't we, that yeah. Burnley and XG just have no rhyme or reason to it. Yeah, like one of the things we focus on in the show, rather than results, is performance. And we, we said last week that Burnley just tends to every season overperform what their performance suggests they should be doing. Um, and I think just watching the match, I got a vibe of it, just because of how the matches are crazy. <laughs> when you watch Burnley play... The matches are just mad. The ball spends more time in the sky than it does on the floor. Mm. Burnley don't really need any choreographed build-up play, intricate football, nothing to get an actual chance. It's just very awkward, um, chaotic, crazy football. Circumstantial. Yeah, it's very much like pinball, where the ball's just bouncing off people's shins all over the place. And when it's like that, it's a bit like Sunday League. And when it, when it's like that, you can't just get a chance and you can't just score. So your performance might not capture that you played well, but you'll get chances and you'll you might score them and people will make mistakes. And it, it's just really the embrace the embrace the variance, the embrace the the aspects of the game that the likes of City and Liverpool decide to completely eradicate. Um, and that's why they're such a weird team to face. I don't know if you saw, I like, tweeted Liverpool's past two teams when we've when we, the past two times we went to Burnley, mm-hmm. Turf Moor, and our past two teams have been awful just just because of when we've faced them. You know, New Year after I think it was it might have been two two days after facing someone else. Yeah, uh, so, Leicester it was. It was Leicester. Yeah. So if if you combine the way Burnley play, the awkward football that they play, with are much changed teams every time we've gone there. That's why it's. I mean, I said last time it's not a ground I I ever look forward to visiting. But maybe it stems from that. And this is the first team we took there, whereby first time Salah, Mane, Firmino, have actually been on the pitch together. Um, I thought Van Dijk was just unbelievable, imperious. Then defense was very good in general. Um, and yeah, we just we just demonstrated the maturity and ability to cope with such an awkward style of play and an ability to to cope when tasked with physical players and and things like that. So yeah, it was just an impressive. I don't want to say it, but title winning performance kind of thing that that champions you know often put out. I mean, Man City only won there one nil, and of course the. It was by the width of a of a of a ball, wasn't it? Of course, so many fine margins last season. That was one of them at Turf Moor where Aguero scores, but in the build-up, it could have easily gone out for a, for a goal kick. So we'll we'll talk about the Salah and Mane situation. Um, not from a because this is this isn't what this show is about. Not from a what does it mean? Are they friends? Are they not friends? And you know, oh, they're, actually, they're really good friends. And you know. Salah minds Manny's dog for him and, and not, none of that although maybe he does I don't know I can't imagine what type of dog Sadio's got but let's have a look at analytically is there anything there which suggests there's a problem? No this is not even a talking point this this is um, I mean I understand why it is because obviously what, what went down on the pitch but you have to consider that players that are like this have to be selfish to an extent 
it's just it's so it's normal. Generally, and we're going to get onto this in a, in a couple of minutes, but generally, usually the more shots you take, the more goals you score. So, if Salah stops taking as many shots and stop, stops creating these shots for himself, he maybe scores less. Same goes for Mane. Um, don't get me wrong. In, in, I mean, I've saw people come out with p- people backing Salah with numbers, saying, you know, Salah's got so many assists over the course of the past three seasons, he's definitely not selfish and things like that. And I understand that argument, but in in this match, he he was selfish for me. Mm. He did, I mean, he was two instances, two very, very clear instances he should have passed. And why he didn't, I do not know. Uh, but in general, I have no real issue with him being selfish. I, I don't. I think it's it's just a common trait that you you almost have to have in the attacker. And the, the attackers that aren't selfish tend to score less. You know, Firmino comes to mind. Really, Benzema comes to mind for Real Madrid. Just letting Ronaldo take all the glory. You need unselfish players in there, but you need your selfish um, players as well. You need a mix of that. So there's no no issue there at all for me. Uh, I saw an interesting. Uh, I think his name's Baba Yagu. Stephen Drennan, his name yeah. is on on Twitter. He's, he's he's definitely worth a follow if if you don't do that already. Um, but he 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 hypothesised over whether basically with the game one and a two 0 Salah was trying a couple of little ideas in terms of he's on the right hand side of the pitch on his left foot. He knows that they know the opposition that he's going to cut inside onto his left and have a shot you know it's something that Arjen Robin did I think Salah is the heir to Robin in that respect now and he was just sort of testing the idea of to throw the defender off course rolling the ball back onto his right and trying to have a shot with his right foot instead because that's probably the one weapon in his arsenal which isn't, isn't as potent as it, as it could be and you know if if if, if Mohamed Salah suddenly has a, a deadly right foot as well, that and he can go on the outside as well as the inside. He, he the Premier League's in even more trouble than it already is. Is that something that you can see? Is, is is that is is it something as intricate as that, or is it just that innate desire for what is essentially a striker? I know he wears number eleven on his back, but he's a number nine in his head. Is it just that innate desire to score goals? I think it's it. It could possibly be a mixture of both. I think it's certainly. Th- the latter in terms you know he just has a, a desire to score goals as simple as that really and if he doesn't he's one of them players who maybe isn't satisfied even if we win but you know on that point maybe there's something there on that yeah um, I think the Firmino one in particular he absolutely should be passing there mm. there's you know there's no excuse for that for me um, but yeah cause sometimes you can in them attacking situations just particularly if you're getting in them regularly, particularly if you've got a lead. You can almost overthink sometimes and you can overdo it and, you know, when there's no real need, keep it simple kind of thing. And It it, it looked like there was a bit of that involved whereby he's overthinking it, he's trying to second guess where the defenders are going to go and what they're actually going to think he's doing in the first place kind of thing. So, yeah, but I, I, don't, I think overall the whole selfish shout... Maybe they don't like each other and things like that. It's, it's, you know, there's nothing really there with that. They have a good balance, I'd say, of, you know, playing for each other and playing for the team, really. So many Salah goals as well, isn't there, where if he is as selfless as people want him to be, um, and they obviously want him to pass, so many of his goals don't happen. You think about Tottenham at Anfield when he 
dances around everybody, then beats Larissa as near post. You think about Southampton away. There's so many times I was there behind the goal that night just screaming, pass it, pass it, pass it, pass Oh, it's all right. He's found the bottom corner. Roma at home, Everton at home. There's so many times. And this is this is the thing when you've got an elite player. This is the thing when you've got elite players. Um, just another number to throw out there. You know, Salah last season created 22 chances for Mane, 20 for Firmino. Mane created uh, 24 for Salah. So... It's you know not there from Andrew Beasley, uh, who obviously is a friend of the show. So yeah, there's there's nothing to worry about in that sense, as you say. It gives an opportunity for us though to to have a little look at Salah Mane, and then a little bit afterwards for me, you know, because I've been really really interested in in the change, and I think what we should say before we proceed here is that everything we're going to say now is on a four game sample size in the Premier League. Four games is not enough. No, um, to make any sort of real conclusions, but you can start to see little trends emerging potentially, um, and so this is one we're talking about Mane. Now we've spoken about his creativity before, Josh, and how he's not as creative as he possibly could be. He focused on his goal scoring more than his his creativity last season, but that's changed this season. His best season for expected assists was uh, per ninety. Minutes was uh, 2017-18 when he got 0.21. Now it's double, albeit only after four games. His XA, his expected assists, per 90 is 0.42, which really, really interests me because he's pretty much doubled his creative output. And again, small sample size, but he's obviously been a little bit more creative this season. Yeah, I mean, I'd be surprised if a figure that high is maintained. Mm. Um but one thing I did notice, I had a little look at shot assists um, before. So, you know, it works as, as general, really. It, it's just an assist, but rather than it being a goal, you're just assisting a shot. You call it, is it key pass? Is that the same type of metric or is it a little it bit is, different? It is, but Weisgau, for some reason, record a key pass only if it doesn't result in a goal. Right, I see. So if, if it does result in a goal, it it's, no a longer, it's no longer <laughs> right, a key I see, pass okay. in Weisgau size, which is weird. So, uh, yeah. So Mane produced five keeper, um, five shot assists against Southampton. He produced three against Arsenal, one against Burnley. Decent numbers. Salah's produced one in every game, with the exception of maybe Norwich, where he produced three. And none of Salah's shot assists have been for Mane. Two of Mane's have been for Salah. So, you know, maybe it was just from Marnie's perspective, uh, from yeah, from Marnie's perspective, a little bit of frustration. Maybe he doesn't feel like feels like there's a bit of rivalry on Salah's part that like he doesn't want to give Marnie a, a goal. I, I don't know what it is. It's just um, it's a strange one. But I just say four matches in, it's it's so early to be to be judging things like this. You're just virtually looking for clues at mm. this stage. Um, and if it, it, those early numbers certainly bode well for Mane in terms of his creative output improving on last season. Second lowest, again, we won't say it again because let's just, that is the caveat now, four games, can't judge. But his, uh, his, his shots per 90 is the second lowest so far. As that it has been also, that it has been in his, since in the Premier it? League, yeah. Which is interesting. It looks like the creativity is up and the, yeah. and the goal threat is down. Well, that's what Salah's so good at doing. Salah has been superb. 
at balancing the both of them. Mm. He has, you know, around 3.5 to 4 shots per 90, as well as creating a serious amount of chances for his teammates. That's one of the reasons I consider him as our best attacker, our most productive attacker, because he's just a, an output merchant. He's just constantly... I mean, he gives the, a, the ball away an awful lot. It looks like he's terrible accuracy and things like that, but it's because he's taking risks, he's trying things. Um, and against Burnley, maybe he just made one or two bad decisions, you know, at, in the last moment, but, you know, that, that should improve as the season goes on. So according to understats, to, to wade in there on what you said about Salah, 2.31 key passes per 90 minutes. Um, that's his best... Key passes per 90 minutes so far since 2014-15. should say Understat actually have it right, by the way. Right, okay. Understat perceive it as a key pass is a pass that leads to a shot, a shot which right. is how it always should be. Well, there thought. we go. Well, that, that So he's making more key passes per 90 this season than he has at any other season. Yeah. And all the rate he is anyway. Yeah. I think our front three are just, just very good at... You know, if you fall short in one area, someone else picks it up there. That, and well, this is it. It's the yin and Mane sort of maybe dropped down slightly shooting, and this is what we'll move on to now, is shooting's dropped, Mane. So let's talk about Roberto Firmino. He's taken 4.33 shots per 90 minutes, which is absolutely out of nowhere. Yeah. Again, four games, let's not get carried away, but his previous highest at Liverpool was 2.92 in 16-17, we expect that number to, to drop, of course, but he's been brilliant for Liverpool so far this season for me, you know. But I didn't realise he was taking that many shots. Is this is this a change in his game, do we think? And what I will throw into that mix as well is that his key passes has now dropped to 0.76 per 90. He's never gone a season under one key pass per 90 before. So again, a little bit like Mane, but a reverse. His creativity's going down, but his shooting is going absolutely through the roof. Yeah, well, that epitomises the whole sharing the workload thing. You know, if, if someone does fall down on their outputs, one of the other two will pick it up and, you know, vice versa, whatever it may be. But I'm glad that we are mentioning Firmino because I think he's had a superb start of the season. I think he's been Liverpool's best player. He probably has, yeah. Attacking-wise. Yeah. Um, and as you say, posting over four shots, paying 90 Certainly in the Premier League, that's their Premier League figures, is um, very uncharacteristic of him. He scored, I think he scored two so far mm. in four matches, so a goal every every two games. Um, he's also registered an assist, I think. And one of the reasons for me now, has just generally scored less every year than Salah and Mane. It's just largely because you, you shoot less. You, you shoot if you shoot less, you're gonna score less. That's generally the rule of thumb. Yeah. Unless you're Harry Wilson, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> or Devakarigi, or Devakarigi, of course. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I mean, White Scouts have got for me now shooting numbers slightly different. White Scouts have got them at four point zero three shots per ninety rather than four point three three, but even still, that's still over four shots. Mm. Um, Probably not sustainable. Probably not. I expected I expected to come down a bit, certainly based on his past couple of seasons, because last season he took 2.3 shots per 90 in the Premier League. Season before, 2.4. Season before that, 2.6. So very rarely does he post over three, never mind over four, mm. what he's on now. Um, Salah, for example, 
this season he's on 3.9. Last season, 3.5. Season before, 4.1. Over the course of a full nah, season, ridiculous. which is crazy. And, you know, you might have a few listeners tuning in at this point thinking, um, you know, these are minuscule differences, which is true. But a few times, Firmino's two point yeah, the best season White Scouts have got for Firmino in the Premier League is two point six shots per ninety. So if you times that by thirty eight full season, that's about ninety eight shots over the course of a season for Firmino. Whereas Salah, if you times his best four point one over the course of a thirty eight game season, it's about hundred and fifty five shots. So, over the course of a season, Salah's shooting about 60 times more. Now, let's say if they've got a conversion rate of 20%. Yeah, exactly. There's so, an extra 10, 10, 20, you got there, 10, 12, 15 goals maybe, potentially. Yeah, exactly. And if, if Salah's shooting, if if any player is shooting 60 times more than another, chances are he's going to score more. So, if Firmino keeps up his, his four shots per 90, which I doubt he will, but, you know, it's... As, well. I, as I said, we're looking for clues. This is this is a, a bit of an anomaly compared to previous seasons. So it either captures something that we're going to see consistently for the rest of the season, or it captures something that highlights his his form at the minute, if you like, or maybe a, a different role at the minute. It could be anything. Um, just as a little thing as well, I looked at Europe's top five leagues last season. Uh, yeah, for for last season. Um, Every player to post over four shots per 90, having played over 2,000 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, generally most of them are scoring a decent amount. You've got Lewandowski in there, Messi was in there. Um, just players that consistently score over 20 goals a season. And Insigne was in there. He posts... He posted almost five shots uh, last season, per 90. He only scored eight. Eight goals. That's a conversion rate and a half, Con- that, isn't conversion it? Conversion rate was 4.6. <laughs> That's really bad, that. Really, really inefficient. So Found the back that, of the net against Liverpool, but I suppose, didn't he? But, well, he's perceived as a, a top, top player, and he probably is, but... <clears throat> That's bad. That is, yeah, that is not <laughs> That's good. That's really inefficient. And you're shooting. I think he had about 160 shots. I think the cops headed fall off if he played for Liverpool. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, could you imagine how many chances he's missing? But that's that's their big numbers. Uh, he must be taking them from from far away. He's against the rule of thumb, if you like, whereby you know the more you shoot, the more you score. That's obviously not the case with Insigne. Certainly based on last season. I need to have a look at Insigne's shot map here live. Let's have a little look. I need yeah, to. That's probably worth doing. I need to have a little look. So that was last season, was he? Yeah. Last he's season. my word. Last lo- season in Serie A, he loves he loves a shot outside the box, Josh. Yeah, he's, he's, he's taking a lot of shots outside the box here. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely loves a shot outside the box. Yeah, I've just got it up myself. Just don't, yeah, don't, don't let him anywhere, don't, don't anywhere, anywhere away from the, anywhere beyond the eighteen yard box. He, and these players, though, he'll score a, f- a few of them, right, and they'll look great. And Ruben Neves is the same. Ruben Neves will score a couple of worldies from outside the box, and people will, will you know, he'll, he'll get the narrative of quality finisher from outside the box or whatever. You know, Insigne's quality cutting inside, which there's an element of truth to it, but at the same time, 
they're trying these things an awful lot mm. and a lot of the time as well it doesn't come off but they're not considered as much it's just an interesting little point to make I thought but one goal from outside the area is and that Nevis? N- no sorry uh, in Sydney oh, last Sydney. season and I, I can't even begin to count how many uh, how many shots from outside the box he tried but it's a lot yeah, it is. Um, it's it's so, so yeah. Liverpool, Liverpool know what to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So don't let them get in into the eighteen yard box, and, the, and they'll be absolutely fine. Um, so I suppose that I suppose the last the last word on Firmino for the moment is he a number nine now? Again, four games in, but is he a number nine? Has he become more of a traditional number nine without any of us realising? Or because I haven't really noticed the change in this style of play, but he's obviously finding. You know ways and and manners to to get four point three three shots per game off. I haven't picked up on a change. No, no, I, I, I don't think he's got a new role. I don't like no. that. I think he's very much still the the player that drops with the other two running beyond him. I like the dynamic that provides. If you're an opposing centre back, you're always presented with a problem. Then you do, do I follow Firmino or do I follow Mane going the other way kind of thing? So if Firmino starts staying high. You start getting all kinds of structural problems and things like that. So I like the way we work at the minute. What it might be though is, you know, what Klopp's like with the whole evolution thing, developments. Maybe he's given him a target. Maybe he said to him, "I want you to shoot more." It could be anything. Maybe he just knows the intricacies of the system more, so he's able to read where the ball's going to drop. And as a result, he's taking more shots. Or it could just be a nice little streak because we are four games in. Mm. That, that's that's nothing. We can't, yeah, we can't stress that enough. You're probably bored with stressing it already, but just in case, for whatever reason, you're only tuning in now. Four games. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. It does lead us to some general trends, though, Josh. And obviously, it's the international break. We don't want to talk about international football because it'll bore the pants off of everybody. Um, and we don't really want to talk about Newcastle because we'll be recording a podcast next week about Newcastle. So I thought it's a good chance to just take stock and just have a look at some early clues, as you put it, about what, what we're seeing so far. Um, so Liverpool are third in the XG table, which is a slight overperformance, um, but it's too soon to say anything, um, primarily because Manchester United are the second. Um, so... I mean, it, it was sort of widely slated, wasn't it? The the, the official Manchester United um, yeah, website ran that story going, we're, we're actually better than our position says. And do you know what? I've got a bit of sympathy with them because I understand why they've written it. And, and it's actually quite nice to see an official club website try and delve into analytics. It's it's it definitely the heart's is. in the right place. Yeah. But it's four games and it just comes across as this real... So it was the headline. The headline killed it yeah. because it just looked like United were going, we're actually better than where we are in the league. But they've sort of got a point and, 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 and at the same time they haven't because it's, it's it's you know, four games in. No, it was it was good to see, you know, them take it on board kind of thing. But at the same time, as a PR thing, when you run in a club, it's not the best thing to publish out there because you're just going to get slated really. got 1-1 one, one with Southampton you know it's, it's yeah. you can't put it um, and, and one thing they failed to mention as well is a lot of that is down to penalties mm. obviously a penalty is 0.76 XG they've had three of them and that accounts for about 30% of United's total XG so far this season 
Uh, obviously, they've only played four matches, so if 30... I'd, I'd be very, very surprised if at the end of the season, 30% of their total goals are from penalties. It's not going to happen, so it's the, the main problem with trying to judge things after four games. One of the, one of the reasons we are so focused on performance and things like that is because it gives you an insight into how a team are going to do in the long term, not four matches. So United are second in there the expected points table simply because, according to XG, they've won every one of their fixtures so far, uh, which is true. But as I said, against Wolves, for example, they finished with 1.14 XG. Wolves finished with 0.31. But if you take 0.76 off United, it's very easily a nil-nil. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a strange thing for them to post, I thought. But, uh, yeah, it it's just feels too early to, to judge a lot of things. Looking at but it from a Liverpool perspective, though, looking at it from a Liverpool and a City perspective, because let's face it, we're going to be talking about City a little bit here. Um, you're already sort of seeing those two as underlying. I mean, West Ham are a bang up there in terms of XG so far, uh, goals scored anyway, or expect the goals scored. But in general, it looks like Liverpool and, and City are the leaders. Um, City do look good. They obviously got that 2 2, which again, we've said before on this show. If you ever want to sort of say why a scoreline, why you need the underlying numbers to, to you know, help with a scoreline that 2-2 with Spurs is, is, is a prime example but I did want to raise something Josh you know we're looking for little chinks in armour some little uh, signs of weakness from City and you know I've come up with this um, I'm, I'm, you know grasp with those straws but defensively in terms of XG conceded expected goals conceded against Bournemouth against Brighton and against West Ham in the last season's correspondent fixtures the XG is higher than what the than what it was last season. All of the XG that they conceded this season in each individual game is around the one mark whereas last season, well, Bournemouth, for example, recorded famously an XG of zero point zero zero because yeah. they didn't have a shot. Didn't have a shot. So, as imperious as they're looking, you know, despite the two two, they, they have they have been the sort of a very uh, impressive team so far. There is a little bit of hope, maybe, by the fact that they're clearly giving up these opportunities. So, Liverpool, by the way, that's it's worth bringing that up as well. Liverpool's, you know, XG defensively has, hasn't been as, as good either. But you know, Bournemouth, Brighton, and West Ham—they're getting chances. They're getting chances which, by the laws of probability, should be at least resulting in one goal. Obviously, the problem is that City scored in about four or five, but at least there is that sort of light at the end of the tunnel for Liverpool when you're looking at City. Yeah, I think um, one thing I said over the course of the summer was the stronger the league gets, the better it is for us, basically, because City City and Guardiola just primarily suited to, to dominating bad teams, really. Just absolutely controlling everything. Um, but if you're facing teams that, are, that have got good players with individual quality, they can get out of little situations that... Bad players can't. Like, I watched um, City's open a match against West Ham. Seb Haller played up front. I don't know if you've seen it. You see? Yeah. I thought he was quality for the first half. He was, you know, City was trying to do the usual, whereby 
and everybody stands try to escape their own half. Like the bottom end, he will just go right through the centre forward or whatever it may be, and the ball will just come again. But because Haller is above the average player in terms of his ability, he was able to even ta- even when tasked with you've got one touch, you've got a millisecond, he'd he'd cope. He'd be able to cope when he'd lay it off to the likes of Lanzini or whoever it may be running beyond him. And things like that. So it will be interesting to see this season how how City cope maybe with their I think we've got a slightly more attacking league this season and I think the recruitment over the course of the summer from Premier League clubs was a bit better than years gone by. Is, think, is that because of Liverpool's analytics to a degree? Possibly. Do, do you feel like people are looking at Liverpool? Don't get me wrong, there's been some big fees. Alley, for example, was what, 45, 50 million? Yeah, but, but that's people, a superb sign in that. It, I know you are massively high on yeah. Alley, but... Is that is in general have, have teams looked at, at what not just Liverpool but Liverpool and they've gone right okay this is how you crack the transfer market yeah I think Liverpool and City, City yeah um, so I have two teams in one season post virtually hundred points you know teams that are aspiring to be at that level can't help but look at that and think how have they done that and I think one of the reasons. Liverpool and City have been able to get into this position, particularly Liverpool, is it rather than making plenty of signings and hoping that three out of six stick, Liverpool never get a sign wrong. Never. Uh, there's no wastage ever. United have took the approach this summer. They needed a striker, they needed an attacker, got rid of the car, but because the right attacker weren't there, rather than going and signing... Dybala, Icardi, Ben Yedder they were linked with. Mm. They opted to instead, no, we'll hold back, we'll just stick with what we've got. So I think Premier League clubs generally invested in fewer players, but the right players this summer. Um, And I think they get that from Liverpool. I think the whole analytics thing that Liverpool are maybe uh, helping bring to the mainstream, I think, you know, goes back to the age-old quote really whereby a man's insane until his ideas work mm. kind of thing and I think Liverpool now that they've won the Champions League having you know a net spend of about I'm not sure I'm sure, I think you've tackled that this week I have fact, so, yeah. I've got dollars in my mind and but the, the net spend <laughs> was uh, I'll get that up but yeah it's, it's under 100 million yeah since Klopp's arrival is that since Klopp's arrival yeah, well, well yeah since Klopp's first summer yeah well see that's that's just super efficient running of a club uh, where you, where it, whereby you're able to afford perform beyond your means kind of thing because you're just getting things right you're making smart decisions um, and I think you know if, if the likes of Brighton and West Ham and who else have City faced Bournemouth Bournemouth maybe if they're signing players particularly in attacking areas who have got quality and can escape City press and can cope when given the limited amount of time on the ball and you pair that maybe with City having Rodri over Fernandinho, who's an incredibly clever player, but Fernandinho was more aggressive. Mm. Fernandinho was more of a, you know, Fabinho type whereby you'll put a foot in, whereas Rodri uses his brain a bit more kind of thing. And you've got De Bruyne in the team now as well, who, again, unbelievable player, but he takes a lot more risks than maybe Bernardo, who was in last season, um, which results in more turnovers and a bit, little bit more chaos kind of thing. Just on that, I think De Bruyne 
is a midfielder made for Klopp. It's sad that they never got to work yeah. together. If I could take one midfielder from anywhere and, and take him to Liverpool, creative-wise, it'd be the Bruyne. I think he's, he really suits what Liverpool do anyway. But The thing is about the Bruyne as well, you'll know he'll be 35 and playing as a six. <laughs> you know, you know, you just know he's going to be around for. He's yeah, he's just going to be. He's he's ultimately Gerard, isn't he? In that sense, he's very much like Gerard. Yeah, I think he's he's what Gerard would have been if Gerard played under a Guardiola. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it it's something to watch for Garden City, but at the same time, they're still having. 17.7 shots <laughs> that's it on average yeah, they're giving up one they're giving up um, one goal a game and yeah they're having 17.7 shots on average and facing 5.5 so in any match for you to take 17 and face 5 something's got to go seriously wrong there for a result to, mm-hmm. to go against you as it did in the Spurs match for example where it was just I mean, that was... Yeah, bad luck. Yeah, just all kinds. Um, bad keeping. The posting 2.5 XG compared to 0.72 against. So we can live in hope. Hopefully yeah. things transpire our way, but you just um, it's difficult to bet against this City team. Next next two games, well, next two away games, sorry, because just right off them at home, really. I know they lost to, to Palace, but uh, next two away games, Norwich and Everton. So there's two teams who are doing something a bit different this season. You never know. You never know. We live in hope. Liverpool, did I remind everybody, are still two points ahead of Manchester City. Um, and they go first as well next weekend. So hopefully a, a nice, comfortable win against Newcastle and then watch Timu Pukki go absolutely sick against, the, <laughs> against City. Um, a couple more things that I picked up on anyway. Um Liverpool are averaging 10.5 shots in the penalty box per game, but only 0.5 in the six-yard box. Can we read anything into that? Am I looking far too deep into this? Why are Liverpool one of the lowest shooters in the six-yard box? Is that just the way they play because of the of, of, of you know Firmino dropping and Mane and Salah coming in inverted? Yeah, I'm not too sure on that one, to be honest. Have you got last season's figures at all? Or? I'll see if I can get them up. I, th- I mean, I think we're, we're different to City in, t- in terms of creating tappings and stuff like that every match. I don't think we're in- as inclined to Well, every one of their goals feels like it's in the six-yard box, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. I think Liverpool are uh, um, maybe a bit less perfect <laughs> yeah. with the way in which they create shots, generate shots and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, after four matches, as I said, it's really difficult to draw conclusions from anywhere. With United, for example, having the best defence in the league, according to underlying numbers. Mm. But that's because of who they've faced. You know, United have faced uh, Crystal Palace, Wolves, and they are both... They're not high-chance creators, are they? No, they're not presses either. They're, mm. they're very much counter-attacking sides kind of thing, and... Got Southampton in there as well, who I'm particularly, you know, good on that side of the game. And well, there we go. Last season, six yard box, one point four per game. Oh, okay, <laughs> I don't know. It's, no, it's it's one to watch. It's yeah, one to watch. It's it, something it, to keep an a, eye on. It's a clue. It's again. yeah. It's a clue. It That's could it. be. It could be a red heron. Yeah. It could be a red heron, but it's a clue. Uh, Man City, one point six. They they top it along with Burnley. Right, uh, out of interest. But yeah, um, and then penalty box, eight point five. So. It's, it's 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 something that's interesting. 
Yeah. Um, and it's something to watch, but it might mean absolutely nothing, which is the sort of insight you obviously listen to this podcast for. Um, they're also so good in the air, Liverpool. Um, and I, I just wanted to ask if we sort of don't appreciate that, basically, according to who scores and their rating system, and just in, in general about the you know aerial duels, if you will, um, which I think they get the numbers from Opta. Uh, Liverpool are 17th in terms of um, aerial duels lost. Uh, 15.6 per game they win 16 per game so they win more than they're losing um, and there's not many clubs around to be honest I'm just counting through now that was last season sorry it's actually even better than that um, but Liverpool and City they're a big team aren't they Liverpool and and you don't realise this but you, you watch them from set pieces now and they're so well drilled and you add that into the physicality and the size of them and it, they're just a really hard team to, to break down in the air yeah. Van Dijk's obviously a massive part of that. So is Joe Massive, I think. Yeah, he's, well. a big, he's, um, a big, he's a big lad. But, like, I think that those those aerial wins just stem from the style I play, really. Uh, I think we're so, we're so controlling and we put teams under such pressure in their own half, whereby they, they their only means of escape is to, is to hit a ball long, aimless ball long, usually. And, you know, if you picture the Burnley game, for example, Van Dijk, I'm not sure how many aerial duels he consisted. It will have been a serious amount. I'll check that in a sec. But most of them were fairly easy to win simply because of it's it's barely clearing their lines to mm. an extent. And Ashley Barnes or whoever it may be will be contesting a ball that's almost behind him. Whereas he Van won't Dijk be set. He won't be. Yeah, yeah, he won't be set. He's he he is. He's reacting to what's happening within the last couple of seconds where Van Dijk's got the full view of it. Yeah, he's able to to proactively predict um, these aerial duels and, you know, address them well before the occur kind of thing. Um, so I think a proactive style of play whereby you're the dominant team will always help with with your centre-backs dominating in the air, providing they're at least half-decent. I mean, we obviously saw Victor Lindelof against Palace, see mm. that? Yeah. Where he he just basically let Ayu go through. Mm. Um that was a you know, that's one of the problems with having playing a proactive system with a, a centre back who's not physically imposing. Um and Liverpool obviously have centre backs who are, you know, fairly well built and good good in the air all around. Just wanna have a little look as well. Liverpool hoofed the ball as the old chance used to come from the Arsenal fans, I think it was. Three key passes per long game. Um, which is one of the highest in the league, Manchester City with one. I don't think that's telling us anything that we don't know, Josh, but it's interesting that Liverpool are so accurate and so good with, with their long-range passing. It's clearly something I've seen so many times already this season. That switch from Trent to Robbo, Robbo to Trent, it's it's a thing of beauty sometimes. Yeah, only three sides as well. I've hit more long passes in the division so far than Liverpool, which is... But some people will perceive that as negative, really. I mean, it's rewriting the narrative, isn't it? Basically, because yeah, long ball, long Sam Allardyce, yeah, but it's not it doesn't long, have to be like that. Yeah, the whole long ball label is one that generally fans would like to avoid. Mm. But we, I mean, a lot of them are a little bit pointless, a little bit aimless. But some of them are, you know, premeditated, and the and the benefits. Like if we if we just play, sometimes we do it as a means of gaining a pressing opportunity. If we hit a long ball into a channel and 
you know, an opposing player upset to try to bring it down rather than heading it clear. Mane can then, or, or Salah can then immediately close him down kind of thing, force him into a bad a bad pass, that kind of thing. So sometimes it can just be a means of gaining territory on the pitch, just a means of getting into the final third. I certainly perceived it that way against Burnley. Both teams seem to use direct play, uh, completely bypassing their own midfields to get into the final third, just as a means of like avoiding mistakes from materialising. The mistake that Ben Mee made, I think that was I wrote in the match match report kind of thing that that mistake that Ben Mee made, which led to Marnie's goal, was mm-hmm. it? Was the the kind of mistake that I think Daish and and Klopp will have both wanted to avoid at the start of the match, hence the the whole direct play in that. Um, obviously, it worked against Burnley in the end, but yeah, I just think it's it's almost a pragmatic approach to the game, whereby you know you just Avoiding any kind of errors, if you want to go long, just go long, rather than just rigidly committing to playing in of football all the time. You know, it's just not always necessary. So I suppose we finish this little look, Josh, at the first four games and, and in general with a, a question, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a long answer or a, a, an unexpected answer, but this title race is City and Liverpool already, isn't it? I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind that yeah. this... It's just for Liverpool to make sure it doesn't become a one-horse race ultimately, and they're more than capable of doing that. Yeah, there's a there's a massive gap, I'd say. <laughs> um, don't get me wrong, I do think Spurs are very quiet at the minute, mm. but I do think once things settle down at Spurs and Dombele gets fit, Eriksen gets his head straight and Lacelso gets fully integrated. Could be a midfield three and you, a half. That you've got a really good team there. They've got loads and loads of options. Harry Kane will then be able to just. Primarily stick to penalty box duties, just stay in the penalty box and score. Yeah. Um. So I think they're they want to watch as the, as the season progresses. But Liverpool and City, certainly City at the minute, on you know all the underlying metrics and things like that, City look by far and away the best. But which they will do, regardless. But a lot of that stems from Liverpool's first two, you know, shaky start matches whereby we didn't have everyone available. Um, a lot of travelling with the Super Cup and things like that. Our most recent two games against Burnley and Arsenal, we've uh, we've faced less less than ten shots against both of them. Defensively, fairly assured. Uh, that high line looks a little bit, little bit more controlled yeah. now, doesn't it? It does, yeah. No I more articles on that. I mean, as we said, we were we were looking for clues. That's that's what we're doing at this time. At this for the first couple of weeks, certainly up until maybe. Week eight, you're just really looking for clues and, and things to maybe delve into and follow. And in the first couple of matches, that looked somewhat problematic, but it's obviously looked very assured in the past two matches. So maybe he was not even there, you know, yeah. we, we don't even know, but it's something that's worth monitoring, just as I said, just picking up on clues, keeping track of them as, as, the, as the season progresses. Thanks very um, much, Josh. Anything, anything else to add? Anything that you saw? Anything that you you feel is worth saying? It feels like you can only you can only found it on so much after four games. Uh, Liverpool have got a conversion rate at the minute of twenty seven percent. City twenty six, and then massive gap. I think Arsenal's is fourteen. So is, <laughs> is that is that luck or is that both great them, finishing? Um, Work on the training grounds. Probably, good a bit players. Of, probably a bit of both. Yeah. Good chances of getting created, maybe. Yeah. 
uh, but it's probably a bit of both and you'd expect both to come down a bit there yeah. but it's just a little bit of a, a banter stat that isn't probably going to be sustainable as the season progresses unless you're Divock yeah <laughs> in which case he's thinking in which case it's Christ that's slow uh, thanks very much for joining us today Josh um, you know the international break is, is we're getting through it uh, we will be back next week just as always a reminder keep on downloading all the podcasts on the Blood Red channel if you're enjoying what we're doing on YouTube give the YouTube channel Blood Red a subscribe and you know just let us know Josh is at distance covered I'm at Christian underscore Walsh a little bit more weirdy that one uh, and just let us know what you'd like us to talk about so thanks very much Josh we'll be back next week where we'll be previewing the Newcastle game and just having a little chat hopefully about how great Roberto Firmino is have a good weekend You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.